We're so glad today to welcome you to the Community Adventist Fellowship and the Cotter Report. If you're in Southern California some Saturday, join us at 333 East Colorado, uh, Glendale, and we'd just be so glad to have you with us. And I want to extend today a very special welcome to this wonderful audience, and especially to those dear folks who are being baptized today into Jesus Christ and the great truths of the Word of God. There's no limit, you know, to the grace of God. No limit to the grace of God. I can remember baptizing a man who was a leading member of the Russian Mafia. They're as tough as you can imagine. In fact, after he was baptized, the brethren were still afraid of him. I can remember because they were just terrified of the Russian Mafia. I can remember one day we were out driving with Alexander and this man pulled up beside us in his car. Alexander said, oh, he said, he spoke in Russian, he said, this man is a member. At least he said he was a member of the Russian Mafia. But today, my friend, he is, and this was five or six years ago, but he has stayed the course. He is a born-again, saved Christian, washed in the blood of the Lamb and saved by grace. Once upon a time, his hands, my friend, were stained with the blood of men and women. Today, they are covered by the red blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's no longer condemned. I want to say today, there's no limit to the marvelous, wonderful grace of our God. Would you come with me today to the book of Romans chapter 8? And this, is, of course, in our church is one of our favorite books. It was the great book of the Reformation. Tyndale called it, as you know by now, good, glad, and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. This marvelous book by the great St. Paul, Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 1, dear hearts. Romans 8, and uh, we're going to start at verse 1 of this great chapter, which is the very heart of the gospel. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says when a person is in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now, there are no perfect people and there are no perfect Christians, but thank God there is a perfect Christ. And as somebody said, it's not what God thinks about you that counts, it's what he thinks about his son, and you are accepted in the beloved, and therefore there's no condemnation to the person who is in Christ Jesus. This is the grace of God. I want you to read on in this chapter. We're going to look at some of the great verses in this chapter today. The Bible says, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible reminds us over and over again that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible tells us the good news that when we come to Christ, the law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. And the Bible tells us unless we are in Christ, we are on a path that is going to lead to eternal destruction. The Bible tells us that there's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life in a moment for thee. Therefore, look, sinner, look. Look and be saved unto him who was nailed to the tree. Would you notice verse 3? The Bible says, I want you to notice these texts in this, 
in this wonderful chapter today. The Bible says, for what the law was powerless to do. Now, there are some things that the law of God can do, my friend, There, and there are some things that the law of God cannot do. The law cannot save, the law cannot wash away our sins, and the law cannot bring us righteousness. And the Bible tells us why. Notice verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened. Is the law weak? No, weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. The Bible says when the law was shown to be utterly impotent to save the human soul. God, my friend, sent his own son into this world and his son came in the likeness of sinful flesh. The Bible says he did not take on make-believe humanity, but although he was the holy, sinless son of God, affected by our sins, but not infected by our sins. He came down to this earth and he kept the law of God perfectly, the only man since Adam who has ever done so. And the Bible says he did this that he might be a sin offering. When Jesus died on the cross, he was not merely a martyr, he was a sin offering. And we believe today in the completeness of the sacrificial atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ as a sin offering on the cross. And the Bible says it is through the sin offering, through his blood, that you and I may say today there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I want you, dear friends, to notice something else. The Bible says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Jesus did not die. Listen, every person. Jesus did not die to abolish the law. Let me say it again. Jesus did not die to nail the commandments to the cross. Jesus died that we might be delivered from the power of sin, that by the grace of Christ we might obey the commandments of God. And so I want to say today that we believe in the blood of Jesus. We believe that we're saved by the blood of Jesus and we believe that we are saved to walk in the paths of righteousness and to keep the commandments of God. Can you say amen to that today? Please read on. The Bible says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I am told by some people that the law of God is abolished. I, I read in some literature and I hear some preachers criticizing the law of God. Those people, my friend, who are criticizing the law of God and saying that the law of God is, is abolished are simply demonstrating the workings of the carnal mind. 
Because the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity to the law of God. When you hear people say, I don't need to keep the commandments of God, that's not the Spirit of God talking. That is the carnal mind talking. The Bible tells us that we are saved by the grace of God so that the Spirit of God can come and live in our hearts and give us the mind of Christ so that we will run after the way of God's commandments. There is nothing wrong with the law of God. I uphold today the holy law of God. The problem is with the carnal mind. And what we need to do is to come to Christ and have the carnal mind changed. Please read on with me, my dear friends. Please read on with me, would you mind? Come down to verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Every person, my friend, has got two natures when he comes to Christ. He has a new spiritual born-again nature, but he also has a carnal nature. And you have a conflict in your life, and that's how it's going to be until the Lord comes. And you ask the question, how can I have victory over this carnal nature? I want to tell you today that the nature that you feed is going to be the nature that is going to win the struggle for your soul. And if you feed the carnal nature, the carnal nature is going to become stronger and stronger. And so the Bible says, feed the spiritual nature. And that's why I say to you who are being baptized today, and that is why I say to the congregation, read your Bible every day. Feed on the Word of God. Pray to God. Feed the spiritual nature. And you will be one of God's soldiers. You'll be one of his conquerors. Uh, notice verse 13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And then the Bible says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you want to know if you're a son of God or not? If you are led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son of God. And how do you know if you're led by the Spirit of God? It is very plain, my friend, if you walk according to the commandments of God. We hear today a tremendous amount of talk about uh, that's really antinomian theology where people say all you need to do is love God. You don't need to care about the commandments of God because they were nailed to the cross. The Bible tells us that when the Spirit of God comes into our hearts and when we're washed by the blood of Jesus and when we are no longer commanded, the thing that will, will come into our hearts is a burning desire to please our Savior and to keep His commandments and so the bible says those who are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god and the reason you're getting baptized today into jesus christ and the great truths of the word of god is because the spirit of god has been leading you you're not here today simply because you've come to some meetings and you're here by a whim. You're not just here because your emotions have moved you. You're here today because you're led by the Spirit of God and therefore you are sons and daughters of God. Please read on, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. Oh, the Greek says, you were adopted, you were adopted, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
What a glorious, wonderful text. The Bible says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you are a child of God, then you will know it. If you say, I just don't know that I'm a child of God, I have no assurance. I do not believe that I'm saved and going to heaven. The odds are that you're not a child of God. The Bible says, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And when you are a child of God, you will know that you have passed from death to life. And you'll know that you're no longer condemned. That's the good news of the gospel. John Wesley didn't always have that wonderful assurance, that inner witness of the Spirit of God. And as his old father was dying, this great old Anglican preacher, he pulled John down to the deathbed and he said to John the words, John, the inner witness, the inner witness. What is the inner witness? The spirit himself bears witness that our spirit, that we are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, then you're going to know it today. You're going to know that you're, you're in a saved condition and you're going to know that by the grace of God you're going to be with Jesus in the kingdom of God and you won't be walking today in fear. You'll be walking free of condemnation, saved by the blood of Jesus, adopted. And when you pray, you'll cry out as you pray out to your Father, Abba, Father. There is a close personal relationship between a child of God and our Father in heaven. And when we come into his presence, there comes a cry from the human heart which reaches the heart of God, and it's the cry, Abba, Father. And the Father looks down and he says, This is my son. This is my daughter. And the Spirit of God comes into our hearts and he gives us the inner witness that we are children of God and we are saved and we're going home to glory. Now the Bible says we have this assurance if we suffer with Christ. Suffering is a word we don't like to use in this country. Because here in the United States of America, we Christians have become rather anemic. We have become very, very weak. We cannot stand suffering. We do not want suffering, and that's natural, but it's the carnal heart. Many of us are so adverse to suffering that we cannot even go to church. We cannot get ourselves out of bed, and that is because we do not have the inner witness. But the Bible says there is a path of suffering and that suffering is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Many people say, I will obey God when everything is easy. I want to tell you, you're never going to obey God. Because as the hymn writer said, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. And when you become a child of God, you're entering upon a blood-stained path. And the Bible says, if you suffer with him, you're going to share in his glory. I say, oh, Father, prepare us for suffering that we may enter into your glory. Verse 18, I consider that our pres present sufferings and that's not talking about coming to church and listening to me. I consider, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Somebody says here today, you've got no idea what I'm going through. Maybe I don't, but it's not worth comparing. We need to get an attitude of gratitude. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. I want to say today, I'm talking to a group of people who largely don't know a thing about suffering. And the worst thing that comes to you is not even worth thinking about. The Bible says, you look at these words, he says, I consider, I reckon that our present sufferings are not worth worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so I want to tell every person here today, when you are baptized and you become a member of God's church, and that's a lot different, my friend, to getting your name on the church roll. I want you to know that. The names of God's true believers are written in heaven and God knows it and you'll know it too because you'll have the inner witness. And the Bible says when you start out upon that path, you enter upon a time of struggle and there is suffering and there is hardship and that is to prepare you for the marvelous glory of God. William Penn, who was born 1644, died 1718, said these words, No pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. Don't you forget it. We're not here today to talk about a wishy-washy, anemic sort of Christianity. We're talking here of the kingdom of God. And God is calling you into the fellowship of his sufferings. One of my greatest blessings has, to be, has been to associate with thousands, tens of thousands of Russian Christians who have been knocked around by the KGB, who have been starved, who've been in prison. I haven't felt worthy of those people because they know about suffering. And the Bible says, no suffering No glory, no pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. Robert Gromey said these words, The birthplace of Christianity was the tomb. The birthplace of splendor is desolation. Spring is conceived in the dark womb of winter. And light is inevitably the offspring of darkness. All this heaviness of night is surely but the prelude to a better dawn. The voice of God and the voice of nature proclaim that the best is yet to be. Always the best is yet to be. I have a message for you today that this dark night that this world is going through is going to pass away and glory is coming. Glory is coming for the child of God. 
Victory is coming for the child of God. The palm of everlasting life is coming for the child of God. And God is calling you to be a disciple. God is calling you to be a soldier of the cross. God is calling you to have a dedication that flows out of a heart of gratitude and love. Somebody said to me concerning even my own church here, why do you think we have in some areas so little dedication? I say it's because there is so little gratitude. If a person has to be paid for everything he does for Jesus, it's because he's not a child of God, I'm here to tell you today. We have in this country a type of professional Christianity where every person, my friend, has to be egged on and paid to serve Jesus. They talk about the Jesus business. I want to tell you, we don't believe in that in this church here. We believe in loving Jesus and serving Jesus out of sheer gratitude. And the Bible tells us that one day there's going to be glory and there's going to be an overwhelming splendor given to the children of God who've gone through suffering for Christ. And when a person knows Christ, he's going to be dedicated to the work of God. It's very hard to understand. Well, it's not hard to say our carnality. People can say, I don't want to serve Jesus. What about his blood? People say, too hard to keep the Sabbath. Think what I've got to give up. I want to tell you folks something. You've never given up anything in your life for Jesus that's worth keeping. What does the drunkard give up? He gives up cirrhosis of the liver. That's all he gives up. And a lot of hangovers. What does the smoker give up? A dirty breath. What does, what does the profligate person give up? He gives up VD and gonorrhea and all of those things. We give up nothing for Jesus. And Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. Now, there are a lot of people who just look and who gaze, but they're not disciples. The word disciple comes from the word discipline, and a Christian is disciplined to serve the Lord. And God is calling every person here today to a standard of discipleship that grows from an attitude of gratitude. Now, please read on with me, please, if you don't mind. The Bible says in the same way, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Well, that's after we're born again. We're weak. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Hey, we can't even pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. We talk about people who think they're perfect. Hey, hey, what a dumb idea. The only people who think they're perfect are people who don't know Jesus. The Bible says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The greatest Christian needs the help of the Spirit of God because in himself he's completely weak. And the Bible says, we don't even know what to pray for. Don't even know what to pray for. We don't even know what to pray for. And the Spirit himself helps us in our weaknesses. And the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so the glory of our salvation must ever be given to Jesus and Jesus alone because we can't do it my friend we can't do it come down to verse 28 
Here we talk about the great doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And we know, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When you know God, and when you're a child of God, and you're walking according to his commandments, there are no accidents. Nothing can happen to you except by the sovereign will of God. People have asked me, I mentioned this before, but it wasn't on television. Do we still plan to go to Russia with the turmoil that's going on with the Russians and the Serbians? We will go by the grace of God. Because nothing can touch the child of God until God says it. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You did not come to this church or hear this sermon today by accident. You are here today because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Before you were born, God had a plan and a purpose for you. Before you were born, God saw you. Before you were in your mother's womb, God saw you. And God predestined that you might be a child of God. When I was a little boy, just a baby in arms, my mother, who didn't go to church, but who was a believer, a simple believer of the Church of England, had in her soul a conviction that I was to be given to God as a preacher. Why did she have that conviction? Did she get it from her soul? No, God gave it to her. Before I was born, God ordained and predestined that I would be a preacher of the gospel, that I would come here to this part of the world, and that I would go to Russia and other places and preach the gospel. All things work together for good. God has got a plan for your life. God knows everything about you. There are no accidents with God. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. When you are in the hands of God, he has you there. He has you safe. He organized your birth. He organized every part of your life. And as Dr. Billy Graham says, the hour of our death is known to God. He knows everything about us and nobody can touch you when you are in the hands of God. Is that good news? Verse 29, for those God foreknew before the world was born. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. I don't believe in Calvinism that God has predestined some to be saved and some to be lost. But I do believe that there is calling, there is election. I believe in biblical predestination. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Dr. Schuler, who is uh, by training a Calvinist, said some time back he'd read everything that Calvin wrote on predestination. He's read everything he can get his hands on on predestination, and after he's read it all, he doesn't understand it. I don't understand it either, but I do know that God chooses people. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I want you to think about this. You never chose God. You may think you chose God, but God chose you. 
and you responded to God's choosing. You didn't choose God. God chose you and you simply said, yes, God calls us. God predestines us. God elects us. God justifies us. And finally, God glorifies us. The work is his and his alone. Verse 31 Verse 31, oh, this is such a beautiful verse. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is no. The Bible says, He who spared not his own son, God, as old HMS Richards was fond of saying, God is an unsparing God. God cannot spare sin and sinners who are wedded to their sin. The Bible says in Peter, he didn't spare the angels. He didn't spare the antediluvians. He didn't spare the dwellers in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says here through his servant Paul, God spared not his own son. When his own son became sin for us, God could not spare him, but the vengeance of his wrath came upon his son, and his son died as a sin offering. He didn't spare his own son for one reason, so he could spare you. But if you don't come to Christ, he won't spare you either. In the day of judgment, God will not spare any man or woman who holds on to his sin. But if you come to Christ, he will spare you because he spared not his own son. His son was not spared that you might be spared by the grace of God. And the Bible says, what shall we say to these things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? Who can criticize? Who can condemn a child of God? And the Bible says, what's going to separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate the love of God from the child of God. When that child is in the Father's hand, because Jesus said, no man can pluck him out of my hand. Read on. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I just wonder how we're going to face the saints when we get to heaven. I really wonder. Pardon my saying this, but here in North America, we have bred the most superficial race of Christians probably in the history of the world. We really have. Sermons are three points and a poem. You've heard that. We no longer have the Lord's Day. We have the Lord's Hour. So people get along to church and if they can, they'll go the night before so they can have the rest of the day at the beach so they can do anything they want to do. And they call it Christianity. That's not Christianity. It's a joke. The devil's joke. Paul said, for your sake, we are slain every day. Every day his life was in jeopardy. Every day 
he went not in fear but in peril of the sword and he said for your sake we are counted as sheep for the slaughter you and I need to become his disciples and step out of the the spiritual low that so many of us have fallen into and we need to stand up for Jesus and be counted and be his disciples or else if we are saved when we get up to the Apostle Paul, we're going to blush with shame. But the Bible says if we suffer with him, we're going to reign with him. I want to stay f- suffer with him, don't you? Don't you? Mm-hmm. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. That's the theme. At least that's the title. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than conquerors. Paul more than a conqueror? Wasn't Nero the conqueror? Wasn't the Roman emperor the conqueror? Weren't these great generals the conquerors? Oh, they conquered a few villages and a few cities and a few nations, but then they were conquered by death. But Paul says, more than conquerors. Alexander was a great conqueror, more than conquerors. Napoleon down towards our era, great conqueror, but we are more than conquerors. Hitler for a while was a great conqueror as he stormed across Europe. Then we know what happened to him. Ended up taking his own life. They're burning with gasoline. More than a conqueror? Nothing. But a child of God is more than a conqueror. Through Jesus, nothing can separate from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Shall hardship? No. Height? No depth? No. Any power in all creation? No, no, no. Because a child of God in Christ is invincible. He is in the hand of the almighty God. And the Bible says he is more than a conqueror. It may not so appear to human eyes. He may appear to be cast down and distressed and in great trouble. But God says, behold, he is more than a conqueror because he's under the blood of Jesus and he's in the grace of God and he's saved and he's walking according to the commandments of God and he's going home to glory. Therefore, I call upon the church right here, the Community Adventist Fellowship, to come to a higher standard. Be God's disciples. Be God's warriors. Suffer with Christ. Loathe, despise that insipid, counterfeit Christianity, which is no better than a ball game. And be the disciples of Christ and partners with him in his sufferings that you may share in his glory. 
I say to those who are being baptized, welcome to the family of God. By Christ, you are more than conquerors. Amen and amen.